Well, take your lesson notes, would you, from your bulletin so we get down to serious matters here. Well, turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 1801 if you're using the Pew Bible. Advent Conspiracy. We're in the midst of a four-part series of lessons during these four Sundays of Advent. Worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. We're joining with literally thousands of churches across America who are conspiring to take back Christmas from what it has become to what it is meant to be. Now, two Sundays ago, we began this Advent Conspiracy with a lesson entitled Worship Fully. Because worship is, after all, the starting point if we're going to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it is meant to be. Understanding that worship is a whole life expression. Everything we do, say, and think 24-7 is an act of worship to God. We then looked at the examples of six individuals or groups of individuals associated with the traditional Advent story in the Bible. Joseph, Mary, Elizabeth, the angels, the shepherds, and the magi, and how they expressed their worship to God. Now last Sunday, our second lesson in this Advent Conspiracy series was entitled, Spend Less. If we want to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it was meant to be, we must learn the secret of contentment. Looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, we glean six key principles for being content or spending less. I must realign my priorities. I must release my ownership. I must rejoice in my circumstances. I must resist my temptations. I must refocus my hope. And I must redirect my generosity. If you're not able to be here for either one of those first two lessons, I encourage you to listen to the sermon online. You can do that on our website or Facebook page. Or you can request a CD by date at the bottom of your communication card, your bulletin flap this morning. We'll have that for you next week. That brings us to today's third lesson in this Advent Conspiracy series, and that's Give More. Follow along in your Bible as I read a few verses from the Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to pick it up with verse 6. Paul writes, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all the grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, He scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. I just love the way that Paul wraps up his instructions here about giving. Look again at verse 15. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Would you read this with me? Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Notice I capitalized the G here. Why? Because Paul is talking here about Jesus. The first and the greatest Christmas gift was God's gift of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Advent has always been about giving. Beginning with the most indescribable gift ever given. Nothing, absolutely nothing will ever top the very first Christmas gift. And so, it's in this spirit of giving that we come to today's lesson. Give more. With these two verses in or with these verses in 2 Corinthians 9 as our foundation, let's spend a few minutes together talking about how we can give more at Christmas this year. Beginning with the goal, which is my presence. The goal is my presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. I spell that for those who are listening to this recording. <laughs> Simply stated, if we want to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it's meant to be, our goal, our focus must be on presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. I mean, isn't that what God's indescribable gift is really all about? It's about His presence, not His presence. The prophet Isaiah 7.14 wrote, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call Him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. God in the flesh. This was God's indescribable gift to us. It was the gift of His presence. John 1 and verse 14 puts it this way, And God Himself became a human being to live here on earth among us, was full of loving kindness, loving forgiveness and truth. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Heavenly Father. It's all about presence, you see. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. One way we can give more of this Advent is to get back to how Christmas was originally celebrated. Give fewer presents and give more presents. (laughs) Jesus gave us God's presence, and we can honor God by giving our presence in the lives of those within our circle of influence, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our work associates, our schoolmates, and so forth. Let me ask you, do you remember all of the Christmas gifts that you received last Christmas? Probably not. Probably not. You might remember a few, but I can almost guarantee you don't remember all of them. What if a close friend gave you a coffee mug this year? Would you remember that gift next year at this time? Probably not. 
But what if that coffee mug came with the stipulation that it was only to be used every first Saturday of the month? Would you remember the gift then? (laughs) Maybe, but only because that's pretty weird. But what if that same coffee mug came with the stipulation that it was only to be used each first Saturday of the month when you and your friend got together to have coffee and tea all this next year? Would you remember the coffee mug? Yeah, you would. Because it came with their presence, you see. Their commitment to set aside some time just to get together on the first Saturday of the month, the two of you. In fact, I bet you would think it's one of the best Christmas gifts you've ever received. All because it came with their presence. You catching on here? Yes. What I'm talking about? What if you thought outside the box a bit this Christmas and gave your family and friends the gift of your presence instead of your presence? Let me give you some more creative ideas I found online as I was researching this concept this past week. I thought these were pretty cool. I read about the example of a grandfather who gave a baseball mitt to his grandson. That's a pretty cool gift, right? Grandson might remember that a few years from now. Yeah, my grandpa gave me this mitt. But I'll tell you what, this grandson will remember this gift because the baseball mitt came with 12 coupons Good for playing catch any time the grandson desired. Isn't that cool? Yes. Or how about the mother who gave a family recipe box to her daughter that came with a once a month appointment to get together to actually cook one of the recipes together? That's cool. Or the wife who gave her husband a weekly date night. One night a week to do anything the husband wanted. To eat out, to go to a movie, to do a project together, to curl up next to the fire, whatever. The agenda was to be set by the husband. And the wife would set aside that one night every week for the next year. You think you'll remember that gift? Or the husband who gave his wife a honeydew Saturday. <laughs> One Saturday a month to do anything and everything his wife needed to have done around the house that never gets done. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. One Saturday a month that the wife gets to be the boss. <laughs> She'll never forget that. I remember I read about this homemade calendar that a newlywed couple she made with random dates throughout 2016 highlighted. I mean, there was a Tuesday, then there was a Thursday, there was a Saturday, there was a Sunday, somewhere in the morning, somewhere in the afternoon, somewhere in the evening. Just random. And what were they? They were like, okay, this is a stay-in movie night and I'll make the popcorn. Or tonight we get to take a long walk together. One was a Saturday picnic lunch in the park. Another was a murder mystery night with friends. Or a weekend away. You name the place, I'll take you. 
That'll be a remembered calendar, huh? Yes. I like this one. A father gave his teenage son a gift of a brand new video game that this son wanted. You might say, well, that dad's crazy. Kids play video games way too much anyway. But that video game came with this stipulation. Son, you have to teach me how to play this game. And I am going to become your fiercest competitor. I thought that was so cool when I read that. Do you think that son liked that gift? I think he did. I think he'll love it. Presence, you see. Is this all beginning to make sense, what I'm talking about here? Yes. I'm going to show you a video. You tell me, from which person in this video would you rather receive a gift? Watch this. Well, Eunice, that is a marvel, if you do say so yourself. (laughs) What is it? Oh, well, it's just a little something that I picked up from my friend Tiffany. Heard of her? It's for my sister-in-law. She works with children in Africa. It's a silver necklace. I thought she'd love that. Well, that is an expensive thought. She's going to be very impressed. And it is the thought that counts. Although last Christmas she thought I would love this horrible vase. Oh, tacky. Well, I don't know how you find time to do it all. I mean, this whole shopping season just stresses me out. I mean, I'm so busy worrying about my own life to think about every single person, so I just go down to the corner store, find the least expensive item in their clearance section, and wipe out their entire stock. Easy. Done. Ooh, clever. What you got there? Another silver necklace? Diamond earrings. Who are they for? For my niece. She's three. Years? Months. (laughs) But I want her to look her best. And it's the little things that count. Absolutely. What you got there, Julie? Oh, this. (laughs) It's this book I made for my granddaughter. Oh, it's all about when she was born, how it was such a such a wonderful time for all of us. Oh, and these are coupons for my husband. Well, they seem very affordable. I mean, what a lot of effort. How did you find the time? I just made the time. Huh. Well, I guess it is the, the thought that counts, hmm. right? about the sale. So I, I think that should count for something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, from which person would you rather receive a gift? And don't you tell me the necklace or the diamond earrings. Come on. I'd, I'd rather get something from Julie myself. Yeah. Why? Because she poured herself into what she was giving. Yes. It's about presence. I mean, you get the idea, I hope. Mm-hmm. Maybe creative. I need to give myself my presence, me. 
more than anything. Which brings us to our second main point this morning, and that's the guide. And that's God's principles. Simply saying, if we want to take Christmas back from what it's become to what it's meant to be, our guide, our blueprint to give more must be God's Word. The Bible. This is our instruction manual. (laughs) When all else fails, read the directions. Or I like to put it this way, before all else fails, read the directions. Because this is where we're going to find God's timeless and proven principles for stewardship. Now obviously the Bible says a lot about giving. Fortunately, over 40 plus years of preaching, I've condensed all of this down to what I think are the top 10 principles the Bible gives us. And even at that, we're going to have to just skim over the top of these principles very, very quickly due to the time restraints this morning. So fasten your seatbelt and let's touch on these principles together very quickly. Number one is the who's in charge principle. Who's in charge? Simply stated, God is the owner. I am the manager. Now, we talked about this one last Sunday, but I need to mention it again here because it is, after all, foundational to all of the other principles of biblical stewardship. Psalm 24 and verse 1 tells us, "...the world and all that is in it belong to the Lord. The earth and all who live on it are His." Our lives, everything we are, everything we have, belongs to God. As the owner, He's entrusted these things to our care to manage them faithfully for Him. And we are responsible to Him for our management. We will one day give an account for how we did with what He gave to us. Number two is the give and grow principle. Give and grow. Simply stated, faithful stewardship produces spiritual growth. Now, I don't think any of us would disagree that as we grow spiritually, we will give more. However, Jesus taught us exactly the opposite. As we give more, we will grow spiritually. Read uh, Matthew 6 and verse 21 out loud with me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. He said no. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we learn the discipline of giving away our time, our skills and abilities, our money, the end result will be growth and maturity. Number three is the do it now principle. Do it now. Simply stated, stewardship involves my present resources. In Luke 16 and verse 10, Jesus taught, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You see, the question is, what am I doing with what I have right now? We cannot put stewardship off until tomorrow. We must not delude ourselves into thinking, well, if I just had a little bit more money, then I could give. No, you won't. It's not what would you do if you had a thousand dollars, it's what would you do if you had a dollar right now? Number four 
The I'm in death principle. <laughs> Simply stated, from my birth, I am in debt. Now some of you are saying, boy, that's the truth. But that's not the kind of indebtedness that I'm talking about. Jesus alluded to the debt that I'm talking about this way in Luke 12 and verse 48. Great privilege brings great responsibility. When much is entrusted to a person, still more will be demanded from him or her. Privilege brings responsibility. With every blessing comes obligation. With every trust comes indebtedness. We are indebted to God and we are indebted to others to give. Number five, the leave a legacy principle. Leave a legacy. Simply stated, we live forever through our giving. I like to put it this way. Quality of life is not measured by its duration, but by its donation. Jesus, of course, said it best in Luke 17 and verse 33. Whoever tries to preserve his life will lose it, and the person who is prepared to lose his life will preserve it. You see, we have a choice. We can use life's resources for self, or we can use life's resources for others. We can protect and hoard our time and talents and treasures for self, or we can risk and sacrifice our time and talent and treasures for others. But nobody, let me just tell you this, nobody remembers a person who stores up his or her things just for self. Yet everybody remembers a person who gives away his or her things to others. Again, it's a legacy principle. We live forever through our giving. Number six is the giving and receiving principle. Giving and receiving. Simply stated, what I give, I will receive in return. We read it earlier, but let's read 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6 out loud together right now. Read this with me. Remember this, if you give little, you will get little. A farmer who plants just a few seeds will get only a small crop, but if he plants much, he will reap much. I mean, this is just the timeless principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. What you plant, you harvest. What you put into something, you get out of something. What you give away, you receive back again. And the more generous we are with our giving, the more blessings that we will receive in return. Number seven is the receiving and giving principle. Receiving and giving. It's just the opposite of number six. Simply stated, what I receive, I must give in return. Jesus summed up this way in Matthew 10 and verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. With every gift we receive comes the responsibility to share with God and with others. I ran across this quote in my study this past week. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Number eight is the planning brings joy principle. Planning brings joy. Simply stated, joyful stewardship is well Planned. Back to our text again this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The message paraphrases verse 7 this way, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Or as the NIV puts it, God loves a cheerful giver. And how do we become cheerful givers? By carefully planning. By 
by prayerfully budgeting, if you will. Giving, joyful giving, is not so much spontaneous. It is not haphazard. It is not accidental. It is planned well with prayer. Seeking God. Number nine is the where I worship principle. Where I worship principle. Simply stated, the place for my giving is the place where I worship. In other words, whether it's the giving of my time, the giving of my service, or the giving of my money, the first and the primary place for me to give should be the local church where I worship. Let's read 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2 out loud together. On every Sunday, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for the offering. Notice that phrase, put aside something. Literally, it's lay by in store. And the store there is the same word used to refer to the storehouse in the Old Testament. The treasury of the temple in the New Testament. It's the idea again of where I worship. The place for my giving. The local church that I attend. I wish I had more time to dig into this principle a bit more, but I don't today. Let me just say this. I believe the Bible very clearly teaches that the tithe, the first fruits, the 10% off the top, is to be given to the local church. And then the offering, anything above 10%, is to be given to missions and parachurch ministries and special church projects and charities. Enough said. Number 10 is the sign of love principle. The sign of love principle. Simply stated, my giving is a sign of my love. This is the true motive for giving, folks. Love. Why do we give sacrificially? Because we love. We love God and we love others. The Apostle John put it this way, 1 John 3, verses 16-18. through 18. We know what real love is from Christ's example in dying for us, and so we also ought to lay down our lives for others. If someone who's supposed to be a Christian has money enough to live and see someone in need who won't help that person, uh, how can God's love be within him? True. Let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. We just ran through ten principles really quickly. So, here's your homework. (laughs) We don't have time to talk about them in more detail, but you have time this week to go back through this list again to prayerfully before God consider these ten principles, to look up these Scriptures we just read and to ask God, how am I doing? when it comes to these ten principles of giving in my life. If we want to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it's meant to be our God, our blueprint to give more must be God's Word, the Bible. It's got to begin with these ten principles, I believe. Which brings us to our final main point today, and that's the gift, which is Hades' project. Simply stated, if we want to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it's meant to be, one way we do that would be giving to the Haiti Water Project. One of the key elements of this Advent conspiracy this year is the special offering that we're receiving through next Sunday, December the 20th. And you can use one of the Nazarene Compassionate Ministries envelopes in the pew rack, or you may simply write Advent in the memo of your check. Now again, as we've been saying each and every Sunday, we are not wanting this offering to be yet another item on your already too long Christmas list. You don't need that. 
And we're not wanting this to be an added cost to you this Christmas. On the contrary, we seriously want you to think about what you're spending and perhaps buy less gifts or instead of buying something, make something. Instead of giving presents, give presents. And use the saved resources towards this special offering. We also want you to be careful not to just redirect your giving from the local church to this project. This love offering is to be over and above your regular tithe to Springville Naz. This love offering will be given through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries for the Haiti Water Project to provide clean, safe water for those who do not have clean, safe water to drink. And by providing for this basic need, we will open up doors of opportunity for over 500 churches down in Haiti to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus to be shared with the Haitian people. Again, going back to today's text in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I like the way the message paraphrases verses 12-14. through 14. In fact, just look at them with me. It says, Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of the poor. It also produces abundant and bountiful blessings to God. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, showing your gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through your generous offerings to the needy and really toward everyone. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they'll respond to the message. That's what we want. By giving the simple gift of water, we'll open up hearts to listen to the message about the living water. Jesus Christ. Advent Conspiracy. On this third Sunday of Advent, we've continued this series of lessons with the third or fourth principles that will help us to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it was meant to be. Give more. And from these verses here in 2 Corinthians 9, we've talked about the goal, which is my presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, the guide, which is God's principles, and the gift, which is the Haiti Water Project. Back to our text one more time. Let's read 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11 out loud together as we close. Would you read this with me? This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you more so that you can then give more away so that you can be even more generous in every way. May it be so. May it be 